Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. Thank you, Landon and Mark and Ella for leading us. One of the things about worship, worship isn't just routine of singing verses or singing songs, but it's an attitude of worship. And I appreciate the flexibility and just him leading in that and them leading in that. For us just to worship and adore our Savior. And I hope we can pray and mean I surrender all and really from the bottoms of our heart in all sincerity and truth because God knows that we are willing to surrender all. Whatever that may mean, that's what surrender is. Whatever, whatever God may do, whatever may God may say, whatever may God may move us to, whatever God may allow is God. I just surrender. It's all yours. It's all his anyway. We certainly need to acknowledge that. So open your Bibles in Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to share a few thoughts um, with you even before I dive into the actual sermon portion. Uh, but before we do that, if you would, hold your Bible up and say along with me, this is the Word of God. I will read it, I will believe it, and I will obey it. By the grace of God. Revelation chapter 2, again, verse 1 says this. Now, understand, and we're, I'm going to draw your attention back to this, but this is the first of seven churches that are written to, message sent by Jesus, the message of God. John was writing it to send to these seven churches. And the first of that is the church at Ephesus. And so therefore we find, verse 1 of chapter 2, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and who walk, walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and is born and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray again that you would help us to understand, that you would help us to obey what we understand and what you have revealed to us through this passage Help us, I pray. We need your help. It's not our strength. We can do nothing. As we discussed even the Sunday school lesson, we have no strength. We have no breath. All that we have is what you give us. Touch us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Before I dive in, I want to say a few words about what's happened this weekend in Israel. I just feel compelled as I saw these things taking place. I've had some that have asked me, could this be the beginning of the end? Is that what this is? And, and my answer to that is yes, it could be the beginning of the end. As we read our book of Revelation, and I found it fascinating is I was planning this message before we got to Saturday morning. I was planning this message before I even looked at what the Sunday school lesson was. And I find it interesting that we're seeing Daniel and revelations of end times things that he's getting in visions that we talked about this morning in our Sunday school lesson. I find it fascinating that this is taking place in the news. And in, in this Sunday, when I was going to shift from Mark, uh, for what I thought, and it may very well may be just one week into the book of Revelation, but how God has ordained those things and tied them all together. I also want to say this, what happens in Israel ought to break our hearts, but it ought not to paralyze us with fear. Uh, we ought to break our hearts just as people mourned across this world, mourn when terrorist attacks took place on 9-11, and the Twin Towers came down, uh, we ought to mourn with those in Israel and these attacks that have taken place. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people, still God's chosen people, will be God's chosen people. The church is God's chosen instrument for now. Israel will come again back onto the scene. I read my Bible and I believe that with all my heart. I hope that you understand that as well. But could this be the end time stuff right before our eyes? And my answer again is this, it could be, we certainly are seeing the move towards a unified one world government. We've seen that in recent years in particular. We've seen the recent move towards a universal currency and even a digital currency that I mentioned to you several weeks ago now about how our government is having meetings about, about implementing this digital currency that the government will control and it will no longer really be under your control. And you can say you've got it in your account, but they can take it out just as easily. Uh, they can put holds and phrases on it. I see all these things that are lining up with what we see in Revelation and in the the prophecies in Ezekiel and Daniel and other places, we're seeing all this. And then I also understand that this is not the first time that Israel has been attacked by other nations or by terrorists. Uh, not so very long ago, there was a 50-day war. Not so very long ago, 1973, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there was another major uh, move in regards to this. And of course, we can go back even before that. But here's me and Landon were discussing this this morning, and, and I told him, I, this is the thing for us to look for. Number one, we're guaranteed, promise you, we are one day closer to Christ's coming than we were yesterday. That's one thing we know absolutely for certain. Number two thing we know for absolute certain is all this is in God's control. There is nothing. No matter, you say, well, why would he allow this to happen? Because he says it's going to happen. And we know as we read Revelation that these things are going to take place and Israel is going to become under attack and God is going to supernaturally protect Israel and then there will rise one that will seem to have all the answers and he will barter a peace treaty with the surrounding nations and those that are attacking Israel and there will be a peace 
And we know by reading Revelation that, that will last three and a half years and then that peace will be violated as that leader will go and then desecrate the temple and the Jews will then completely rebel against him and then the last three and a half years of revelation or tribulation will take place and then there will be a thousand year reign of Christ and then the devil will be bound during that thousand years. He'll be loosed. There'll be one last battle against God. He will wipe them all out and there'll be a new heaven and new earth. We, we can keep on going with that into eternity. But here's a thing that I want you to, to, as you live for him and serve him, to watch for. This is my opinion. All right? I'm just going to make that perfectly clear. My opinion. Right now, in large part, the vast majority of governments, other nations, are publicly saying Israel has, other than Iran and a few others, Israel has a right to defend itself. Israel now, as of this morning, has declared war. Uh, war was declared upon them, they're saying, so therefore now we're making a formal declaration of war. But our government, at least publicly, is saying we support Israel. It's a tragedy. It's awful. It's terrorism. It should be condemned. There are those in our government, there are those in other governments that are saying, well, what about the Palestinians? And oh, if they hadn't treated, mistreated them, and if they weren't there to begin with, then this wouldn't have happened. I understand that. But when you see the world turn against Israel, that's the time that if we're not already taken out, listen for the trumpet. And I believe personally, my opinion, that what's going to happen, not, maybe not this time, but eventually, people will say Israel has a right to defend itself, and Israel is going to defend itself. And then when they do, and they threaten to bring war like Gaza has never seen, these terrorists have never seen, I think at some point, maybe not this time, but at some point in time, that the world will then say, well, what happened to you was wrong, but now you've taken it too far. And you now are the perpetrator in bringing the terror against them and people will turn on Israel. When that happens, listen for the trumpet because the Bible talks about how the whole world will turn against all that area is going to turn completely against Israel. Everybody in Israel will be surrounded and then God will intervene and there'll be a person that will be raised up and that will be the Antichrist that will barter this peace treaty. But pay attention we're one day closer. We're one minute closer or three minutes closer than when I first started that little conversation. But God is coming, and God has got it all in control, and there's no reason to be afraid. As our Sunday school lesson pointed out this morning, the most repeated phrase in all the Bible is, don't be afraid, fear not, don't, don't have fear. And so, therefore, we are not to be afraid, but we should be praying and I also thought it was interesting that when trouble and tragedy and what Daniel saw, he fell on his face for three weeks and didn't wash, didn't eat, didn't drink anything, and prayed and called on God. And I also thought it was fascinating that when the angel shows up and says, when you first turned to the Lord, God heard your prayers. 21 days later, but when you first started praying, God heard your prayer and God hears ours as well. Now, 
Let's look at Revelation. What does all this mean? We're looking at this church at Ephesus. And what I want you to see here is a church that if we look at this, we see a picture of a church that we would say, man, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. Understand this. When we first start reading the verse, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time diving into some of this, but I want to give you a little understanding. This is Jesus Christ that is saying these words to John. He is telling John, this is what the Messiah has to say, who is God. And we know that because we see in chapter 1 the description of the Messiah, of Jesus, and the description with his eyes of fire and his feet like brass and the hairs of his, uh, or white like wool. And in his right hand, he has seven stars and he is standing or walking in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. Well, that's Jesus, but what are the seven stars? What are the seven golden candlesticks? And what are the, what is the angel of the church at Ephesus? If you read chapter two and three, you begin each section and it says to the angel of the church. And it talks about at this city and at this city and at this city. And number one, it is, uh, we're doing a Bible study actually on Sunday night with another church, uh, my family is, and we're studying the book of Revelation and talking about how the letters were sent. And if you take a circular route, start with one city and go around, the order of churches follows that road that would have gone around to those churches. It was seven literal churches and seven literal cities, seven real people these messages are going to, but it certainly does apply to us if the shoe fits. This church at Ephesus had an angel. Now, who was the angel? The angel, I think, is the same as the star. It's the pastor of the church. I'm not claiming to be an angel. I'm not claiming to be the star. I'm simply saying that God has these stars in his hand, and the star, when we look down in chapter 1, verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in the right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So the stars and the angel are the same, and he's writing it to the pastor of the church. Okay? The seven golden candlesticks, or the seven candles, are the seven churches. They're the lights in their community. That's what we are to be, the beacon of light and of truth in our community. And so therefore God is walking among the churches and he holds the pastor. That's a wonderful comfort to me that he is here with us and that he has got a hold of me and he's got a hold of you. But he's sending the message to us, to these churches, yes, but to us. But we look and we see this church is a church. And as I was studying this, I said, this is Pleasant Hill. This is Pleasant Hill. Notice the accommodation of what Jesus sends to the church at Ephesus. I know thy works, verse 2, and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. This was a church in Ephesus that stood on the fundamentals of the Bible, on the word of God, on the truth, on the character of God, but stood firmly on the word of God. 
I, I saw a, a little video the other day, I think I don't remember Landon showed me or not, and it was a church, and the, the pastor said, I was asked the other day, or I was told the other day, that our church is a left-leaning church. Which way does your church lean? And the pastor said, my church doesn't lean, we stand on the word of God. And that is what Pleasant Hill has done and must do. And I told Landon, I said, if we're going to do any leaning at all, it's leaning on Jesus. We don't lean left. And we don't lean right for that matter. Yes, I, I, again, I'm, I'm conservative. I would describe myself as being on the right. But we're not leaning. We're here to preach the gospel to all people. Conservatives, liberals, independents, uh, middle ground, doesn't matter. But we don't lean. We stand on the word of God. And this church at Ephesus, was doing that. They did not put up with false teachers. That's what it's talking about. It, it didn't stand, it, uh, it couldn't stand evil and sin. It didn't want anything to do with that, and it did not stand for false teachers. That's what it's talking about, that thou didst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. In other words, there were false teachers that were infiltrating the instrument, the tool of the devil, that he was trying to send in compromisers and lies and trying to convince the church of certain things, not just Ephesus, but all the churches. And through the ages, that's one of the key ploys of the devil is to send in heresy and false doctrine and things that aren't all that far off, but enough off where it's no longer the truth. And so therefore, this church was not putting up with that. And false teachers that came in, when they were identified as being false, they were, not they, they, they were not allowed to stay and teach or preach. And Pleasant Hill, as I've studied our history and as I've listened to you talking about history as far as, as long as you've been here, this church has not allowed false teachers and false doctrine and lies of the devil to be taught and preached and shared. And so therefore, like Ephesus, we look at this and say this is a church that stood on the truth, stood on the word of God, the inerrancy of scripture, the, the work of Jesus Christ is that and that alone is what saves us. That's what this church did and that's what Pleasant Hill has done. That's what I pray you and I have done. But it says, and thou hast borne or lasted and hast patience, you've endured and you've had patience for not your sake, but Jesus' sake, my name's sake. You've labored and you haven't fainted. In other words, you're still going. You're still serving. You're still teaching. You're still preaching. This church has been here for over 175 years and still going. We may not be many in number, but we're still here. And we're still serving and we're still teaching and we're still preaching the truth. Just as this church had, despite the ups and the downs, despite the troubles and the hardships, despite the fights and bickerings, we still have stood on the word of God, just like Ephesus said. And there are those of you that are here and you've not given up, just like this church did. He praised them. He said, this is great. And then he says, but I have a problem. 
Nevertheless, verse 4, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Can I ask you a question? Do you love Jesus more now than you ever have? Are you walking with God closer now than you ever have? What is the first love talking about? It's talking about that first fiery, passionate love. And we can compare it, if you will, to that newlywed couple that gets married. And they're so in love with each other. And oh, it's the honeymoon and it's honey and dear and sweetheart and I'll do anything for you and oh, I'll do anything for you and just lovey-dovey and wonderful and just can't get enough of each other. And then if we're not careful, the years pass and we can get enough of each other. I just need some time away from me for a moment. And then troubles come and hardship comes and struggles come and marriages break up. Why? Because they didn't maintain the first love. We could compare it another way. We could say, do you remember when you first got saved? And you remember when you first understood that you were free in Christ and on your way to heaven. Whether you were a child or whether you were older, it does not matter. And you were just ready to storm the gates of hell. God, I'll do anything for you. God, what can, God use me. God, grow me. God, just work in me. And we read the word of God and we told everybody we knew about Jesus and we invited them to church and we invited them to know our God and our Savior and we just couldn't wait to go to church. And we couldn't wait to tell somebody and we couldn't wait to help somebody and we couldn't wait to let somebody else understand what we now understood. Our eyes were opened. That was the first love. Is that where we are? Is that where I am? Is that where you are? The church had been faithful. The church had kept on working. They had kept on laboring. But what happened? It became out of duty. It became because this is just what we do. It became, this is just, it's just, it, well, we, we go to church. That's what we do. We get up on Sunday, we go to church. And in this Bible belt, we're not the only ones that are like this, but there are people that say, well, it's, again, no matter how Christian they live or don't live during the week, no matter how much they may worship or not worship during the week, no matter how much they live for Jesus or live for the devil during the week, I'm going to get up and go to church on Sunday morning unless something else comes up, or maybe I go no matter what. That was this church. I'm going to church no matter what. That's what we do. That's what this church did. But it was habit. It was routine. It was duty. I have to. I'm going to. 
And I wonder, is, and again, not just Pleasant Hill, but I'm the pastor of Pleasant Hill, and I know my life, if that's not what we are doing. Or do we have a hunger for I want to hear more of the Word of God. I want to hear more message from the Word of God. I want to sing more songs about my Savior. I want to tell more people about Jesus. Are we where we can't get enough? Or are we where we've had enough? And it's just, well, time to go to church. Life gets in the way, other things come up, and I'm going to go to church, but I'm not as excited about it as I used to be. I'm going to keep serving, I'll keep teaching Sunday school, I'll keep uh, giving my offering, I'll, I'll keep uh, going to outreach events that we have or whatever they may be, but <sighs> I'm tired. And whether it was they got older, whether it was because they just didn't have the same get up and go. But if my strength that I have to serve him comes from God, then the strength that he gives never runs out. Then it really shouldn't be about burnout or tired or worn out. Is that us? Is that me? Is it you? So that's the problem. And you say, well, that's a terrible problem, preacher. I have to think about that one. Here's the problem. They were saying, well, that's this person or that's that person, but that's not me. I'm perfectly good. I'm, I'm, I Listen, that person there, they skipped church this past week, but I'm still here. That person, they could have been here, but they didn't come. That person got their feelings hurt over something that was silly, and they're not here. That's not my problem. That's theirs. I'm still here. But he's still in love with Jesus. See, the problem was they couldn't admit what their problem was. And if you and I, and I don't know your heart, I don't know. I'm just asking the question. I know mine. But Jesus doesn't just leave us with the problem. He gives us the remedy. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. First of all, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He didn't say, you didn't just drift away. He didn't say, well, it just kind of waned slowly. Now, maybe it did, but the point was this. We often kind of make it, well, it's, yeah, it's not as like it used to be. I don't have the same love as I used to have. I don't have the same passion as I used to. But it's just, you know, it's okay. No, he's saying that you have collapsed. You have fallen is the picture he's made. Remember from where you have fallen, how far you have fallen. So the first thing we have to do is acknowledge and admit and realize just where we ought to be and realize that we're not where we ought to be. 
And if you're saying to yourself right now, I don't, I'm not saying that you are, but if you are saying to yourself, yeah, I'm where I ought to be. I think you're allowing the deception of the devil to infiltrate your heart. Because if you're living with a fire and a passion and a first love for God like you ought to have, you would be saying, I can't, no, no I, I got to get more. I got to get closer. I, I've got to love him more. Not, oh yeah, I'm where I ought to be. Remember, acknowledge, realize there is a problem. And number two, then he says, remember, acknowledge, realize, and then repent. Repent is to admit and change direction. So I acknowledge there's a problem. This is the same thing when we get saved. We acknowledge I can't get to heaven. I'm a sinner. I can't make it there on my own. I can't reach God's standard. And so therefore I repent and I go the other way. I was trying to go my way, but now I'm going to go God's way. It's to repent. I don't want to go the way I was going. I don't want to be waning in my love for him. I don't want to have lost my first love. And I was wrong, and I've fallen, and God helped me, and I repent. God, you're my strength. God, help me get it back. Give it to me back. And then he gives us the third thing. So we acknowledge, we remember, we realize, and then we repent. We confess it, we repent it, we go the other way. We stop the way we were going. I realize now I'm going the wrong way, and we turn around. I, I, I do this all the time. I, getting senile or old, I don't know what it is, but I'll, my kids will ask me all the time, we'll get ready to take them to school, and I'll get ready to turn right out of the neighborhood, and my kids will say, oh, Daddy, go left. Daddy, where are you going? And I get in a habit of doing things a certain way, and I have to turn around and go the other way. I realize, where am I going? What am I doing? I've got to go back the other way, and I turn around. It's the same idea. Acknowledge, I'm going the wrong way. I just realized I'm not going the right way. We were going over to a friend's house uh, in, in Belton the other day, and I... Went out one way, and my wife's like, where are you going? I said, I have no idea. And we had to turn around and go the other way. And it says, once you've acknowledged it and you repented, that's not where it ends either. Go back and do the first works. Remember, repent, and do the first works. I tell people this all the time. I'm guilty of not doing it at many times. But when it comes to marriage, or when it comes to relationship, you know, how do I get back that loving feeling? Start doing the things that you used to do when you were first dating. Right? Start chasing her or chasing him or the little notes and the little love letters. and The, the same thing in the Christian life. Start doing the things, the work that you were doing before that you love doing and you'll realize I love doing this. 
And I love Jesus and whom I can do it for because I realize that he paid it all for me and that he sacrificed everything for me and he surrendered all for me so that I can surrender all for him. God surrendered his son so that I can surrender to him. Repeat the first works. Very quickly, my time is out. If we don't, then he will come and remove the light, the candlestick, out of its place. What does that mean? If the candlestick's the church, again, we will no longer be seen as the church. Oh, we can still keep meeting. But we're not going to have the impact the blowtorch of light, of truth that we used to have. People will no longer see the light. I'm not going to have time to go into verse 6 because he says, that's the Nicolaitan. I'm not going to take time to do that. I want you to see, and then I'm done. Verse 7. He that has an ear, let him hear. He says that to every single one of the churches. And when you see a phrase repeated over and over again, pay attention. He's saying, listen up and pay attention. Because if you do, if you, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because then if you listen, you can do it. And to him that overcomes, I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you to eat out of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And he's saying, listen, I will give to you and I will bless you and you will have eternal life. And I'm telling you, my point is this. He wasn't saying to the church at Ephesus, it's too late. He was saying, repent, remember and repent before it is, but it's not yet. In church, I just want to say this, that God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. God wants to use you for his purposes more than you can possibly imagine. God has great things in store for you, more, greater than you can possibly imagine. I heard it described this way as far as heaven. It, it, I went back and read the verse. It was a little bit different translation, but it says, the, 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 the eye has not seen nor ears heard, and you can't even imagine what heaven is going to be like. The things that are in store for you. So church, we need to finish and finish well. I don't know how much time I've got. I don't know how much time that you have. I don't know how much time church age has. But if this is you, if you're a member of the church of Ephesus and you've fallen, can you just acknowledge it to God? Say, God, I need help. And like Daniel, when you start praying and you fall on your face, and I don't mean just a, God, please help me, and I'm going about my day, but when you get down on your knees and you say, oh, God, help us, help me, and are you willing to pray for three weeks or however many weeks it takes and fast and not eat like Daniel did, not drink like Daniel did, not take a bath like Daniel did? Because you really, truly are repenting, then God will send you the word, I heard you the first time. And I will come and I will do in you what must be done. Oh, church,
Can we get back to our first love? Will you pray for me? That I'll get back to that first love? I'll just be honest with you. This Earlier this year, and I still am reading through the word of God, but I've gotten a little behind. And I'm telling you, when I first started reading through chronologically, I couldn't get enough. And then life got busy and things happened. And whether it be extracurricular stuff, whether it be health stuff, kidney stone stuff, doesn't matter. The last several weeks, it's been a little bit harder. I haven't been as quick to dive into the Word of God. I've been quicker to turn on the TV or do what I want to do. Will you pray for me? I'll pray for you. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just asking a question. My opinion doesn't matter. God's does. Let's pray. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.online. Thank you, and may God bless you.